0: Chapter One He Has Come 1900
1: BC, Manas Saravar Lake, at the foot of Mount Kailash, Tibet Shiva gazed at the orange
0: sky. The clouds hovering above Manas Saravar had just parted to reveal the setting sun, the brilliant giver of life, drawing another day to a close. Shiva had seen a few sunrises in his twenty-one years, but sunset. He tried never to miss a sunset. On any other day, he would have relished the vista, the sun and the immense lake against the magnificent backdrop of the Himalayas, stretching as far as the eye could see. But not today. As he squatted on a narrow ledge extending out over the lake, the shimmering light reflected off the waters picked out the numerous battle scars that marked his muscular body. Shiva recalled his carefree childhood days when he had perfected the art of skimming pebbles across the surface of the lake, he still held the record in his tribe for the highest number of bounces, 17. On a normal day, Shiva would have smiled at this memory from a cheerful past. But today, he turned to look backwards towards his village without the merest hint of joy. The slightly humpbacked Bhadra was alert, guarding the main entrance to the village. Shiva looked to Bhadra's side and his tribesmen turned to find his two backup soldiers were dozing against the fence. He
1: cursed and kicked them awake. Shiva turned back towards the lake. God bless Padra. At least he takes some responsibility. He brought the chillum made of yak bone to his lips and inhaled deeply. Any other day, the marijuana would have dulled his troubled mind and allowed him some moments of solace. But not today. He looked
0: left, towards the edge of the lake, where the soldiers accompanying the strange foreign visitor were being kept under guard. With the lake behind them, and twenty of his own soldiers watching over them, it was impossible for them to mount any surprise attack. They let themselves be disarmed so easily. They aren't like the bloodthirsty
1: idiots in our land, always looking for any excuse to fight. The foreigner's words came flooding back to shiver. Come to our
0: land, which lies beyond the great mountains. Others call it Meluha, but I call it heaven. It is the richest and most powerful empire in India, perhaps in the whole world. And our government offers immigrants fertile land and resources for farming. Today, the Gunas, your tribesmen, fight for survival in this rough, arid land. Meluha offers you a paradise beyond your wildest dreams and we ask for nothing in return, save that you live in peace, pay your taxes, and obey the laws of our land. Shiva had been musing on the stranger's offer, weighing the pros and cons. He would certainly not be a chief in this new land, but would he really miss that so much? His tribe would have to live by the foreigners' laws rather than their own. They would have to work every day for a living, but surely that would be better than fighting every day just to stay alive? He took another puff, and as the smoke cleared, he turned to stare at the hut in the center of his village, right next to his own, where the foreigner was housed. He had been told he would sleep more comfortably there, but in truth, Shiva wanted him close as a hostage, just in case.
1: Almost every month
0: we have to fight the Pakratis, just so we can keep our village on the shore of the Holy Lake. But they are growing stronger every year forming new alliances
1: with new tribes. We can beat the Pakritis, but not all the mountain tribes together. If we move to Meluha, we can escape
0: this pointless violence, maybe even start to live in some comfort.
1: What could possibly be wrong with that? Why shouldn't we take this deal? It sounds so good! Shiva took one last drag, then knocked the ash from the chillum and rose quickly from his perch.
0: Brushing a few specks of ash from his bare chest, he wiped his hands on his tiger-skin skirt and strode rapidly to his village. Padra and his backup stood to attention as Shiva passed through the gates. Shiva frowned and gestured for Badra to ease up. Why does he always treat me like this? Does he keep forgetting that he's been my closest friend since childhood? Me becoming chief hasn't really changed our relationship. He doesn't need to be so servile. The huts in Shiva's village were luxurious compared to those of other tribes, tall enough that a grown man could actually stand upright inside them. They were also strong enough to withstand the harsh mountain winds. They would last for three years before surrendering to the elements. Shiva flung the empty chillum into his own hut as he strode past it to the one next door where he found the visitor sleeping soundly. Either he doesn't realize he's a hostage, or he genuinely believes that good behavior begets good behavior. Shiva remembered what his uncle and his guru used to say.
1: People do what their society rewards them for doing. If the society rewards trust, people will be trusting. Meluha must be a trusting society indeed, if it teaches even its soldiers to expect the best of strangers. Shiver
0: scratched his shaggy beard as he stared hard at the visitor, who had given his name as Nundi. Dumelehan was huge, and he looked even bigger, sprawled on the floor in a stupor, his immense belly jiggling with every breath. In spite of his obese appearance, his skin was taut and toned. His childlike face was even more innocent in sleep as he lay there with his mouth half
1: open. My uncle used to talk of my great future. Is this the man who will lead me to my destiny? Your
0: destiny is much larger than these massive mountains, his uncle had told him.
1: But to make it come true, you will have to cross these very same massive mountains. Do I deserve a good destiny? My people must always come first. Will they be happy in Meluha? As Shiva contemplated the
0: sleeping Nandi, he heard the warning sound of a conch shell. Bakratis! Positions! screamed Shiva as he unsheathed his sword and headed for the door. Nandi was up in an instant, drawing a hidden sword from beneath his fur coat, and together they sprinted to the village gates. Following standing instructions, the women were already rushing to the center of the village carrying their children, while the men were running the other way. Swords drawn. Bhadra, call our soldiers at the lake, shouted Shiva as he reached the gates. Bhadra relayed his chief's orders, and the Guna soldiers were up and running towards the village before he'd finished shouting. They were as surprised as Shiva had been when the Melehans drew hidden weapons from their coats and joined the Gunas as they took up defensive positions. The Pakratis were upon them within moments, and their ambush was well planned. At dusk, The Guna soldiers customarily thanked their gods in prayer for a day without battle, while the women finished their chores by the lakeside. If there was a time of weakness for the formidable Guna's, a time when they were not a fearsome martial clan, but just another mountain tribe trying to survive in a tough, hostile land, this was it. But fate was against the Bukrathis this time. The foreigners in their midst had prompted Shiva to order his tribesmen to remain more alert than usual so the Bukrathis lost much of the element of surprise. The Mellahan presence was also decisive in the skirmish itself, quickly turning the tide of the short, brutal battle in the Guna's favour. The Bakrathis had no choice but to retreat. Cut and bloodied, Shiva surveyed the damage at the end of the battle. Only two Guna soldiers had succumbed to their injuries, and they would be honoured as clan heroes. But the warning had come too late, for at least ten Guna women and children, whose mutilated bodies
1: were found next to the lake. Bastards! They kill women and children when they can't beat us! Livid, Shiva
0: called the entire tribe to the center of the village. His mind was made up. This land is fit only for barbarians, he announced. We fought countless, pointless battles with no end in sight. You know my uncle tried to make peace, even offering the mountain tribes access to the lakeshore, but they mistook our desire for peace as weakness. We all know what followed. Despite being accustomed to the brutality of regular battle, the Gunas had been utterly appalled by the viciousness of the attack on the helpless women and children. I keep no secrets from you, Shiva went on. You are all aware of the invitation the foreigners have extended to us. He pointed to Nandi and the Melohans. They fought shoulder to shoulder with us today and they've earned my trust. I want to go with them to
1: Meloha. But this cannot be my decision alone. You're our chief, Shiva, said Bhadra firmly. Your decision is our decision. That's our tradition. Not this time, said Shiva. This will change our lives completely. I believe the
0: change will be for the better. Anything will be better than this endless, pointless violence.
1: I've told you what I want to do. But the choice to stay or go is yours. Let the Gunas speak. This time, I follow you. The Gunas were clear on their tradition,
0: but their respect for Shiva was based on his character as well as tribal convention. His genius and sheer personal bravery had led the tribe to their
1: greatest military victories. They spoke with one voice. Your decision is our decision. Five days had passed since Shiva had uprooted his tribe and now the
0: caravan was camped in one of the great valleys along the route to Meloha. Shiva had organised the camp in three concentric circles. The yaks had been tied around the outermost circle to act as an alarm in case of intruders. The men were stationed in the intermediate ring ready to fight if a battle broke out and the women and children, the most vulnerable, were inside the innermost circle gathered around the fire. Shiva was prepared for the worst, convinced there would be an ambush. It was only a matter of time. The Bhakrathis should have been delighted to gain access to the prime lands along the lakeside, but Shiva knew that Yukka, the Bhakrati chief would not allow the gunas to leave peacefully. Yukka would like nothing better than to become a legend by claiming he had defeated Shiva's gunas and won their land for the Bhakratis. Shiva detested this nonsensical tribal logic. In such an atmosphere, there was no hope for peace. While Shiva relished the call of battle and reveled in its arts, he also knew that, ultimately, the battles in his land were an exercise in futility. He turned to study Nandi, who was sitting some distance away with his men. The twenty-five Meluhun soldiers were seated in an arc around a second camp circle.
1: Why did he pick the Gunas to invite to his homeland? Shiva wondered. Why not the Bhakrathis? His thoughts were broken by the movement of a shadow
0: in the distance. He stared hard in that direction, but everything was still.
1: Sometimes the light played tricks. Shiva relaxed his stance, and then he saw the moving shadow again. The
0: arms! he cried, and the Gunas and Meluhans immediately drew their weapons and took up battle positions as fifty Bukratis charged recklessly towards the camp. The stupidity of rushing in without thinking cost them dearly when they encountered a wall of panicky yaks. The animals bucked and kicked uncontrollably, injuring many Bukratis before they could even begin their skirmish but a few slipped through, and weapons clashed. A young Pakrithi, obviously a novice, charged at Shiva, swinging his weapon wildly. Shiva stepped back, easily avoiding the strike, then brought his sword up in a smooth arc, inflicting a superficial cut across the Pakrithi's chest. The young warrior cursed and swung back, opening his flank. That was all the invitation Shiva needed. He thrust his sword brutally into his enemy's gut, then as quickly pulled the blade out, twisting it as he did so, leaving the Bhakrati to a slow, painful death. He turned, and finding a Bhakrati about to strike a guna, he jumped high and swung from above, slicing neatly through the Bhakrati's sword arm, severing it from his body. Bhadra was as adept at the art of battle as Shiva. A sword in each hand, he was fighting two Bhakratis simultaneously. His hump did not impede his movements as he transferred his weight easily slashing the throat of the Pakrati on his left, then swinging with his right hand and cutting across the other soldier's face, carving one of his eyes out. As the soldier fell, Bhadra brought his left hand sword down brutally, quickly ending this hapless enemy's suffering. The battle at the Melihun end of the camp was very different. They were exceptionally well-trained soldiers, but they were not vicious, and they were following their own code, avoiding killing as far as possible. The were outnumbered and poorly led, and they were beaten in short order. Soon almost half of them lay dead, and the rest were on their knees, begging for mercy. One of them was Yakka. A deep cut in his shoulder, inflicted by Nandi, was restricting the movement of his sword arm. Bhadra stood behind the Bhakrati chief, his sword raised high, ready to strike. Shiva, quick and easy or slow and painful? Sir intervened Nandi before Shiva could speak. Shiva turned towards the Malohan, surprised at the interjection. This
1: is wrong. They're
0: begging for mercy. Killing them is against the rules of war. You don't know the Pakritis, said Shiva. They're brutal and they'll keep attacking us even if there's nothing to gain. This has
1: to end once and for all. It's already ending. You'll be living in Meluha soon. Shiva stood silent, considering Nandi's words. How you end this is up to you, Nandi added. Will you choose more of the same, or something different? Padra looked at Shiva, waiting. You can show the Pakrattis that you're better than them, said Nandi.
0: Shiva turned towards the horizon and gazed at the massive Himalayas remembering his
1: uncle's prediction about his destiny lying beyond the great mountains. Destiny, or the chance of a better life. He turned back to Bhadra. Disarm them, take all their provisions, then release them. Even if the Bhakratis are mad enough to return to their village, rearm and come back, we'll be long gone. Shocked,
0: Bhadra stared at Shiva for a moment. Then he started implementing the order without further question. Nandi gazed at Shiva with hope in his heart and one thought reverberating through his mind. Shiva has the heart.
1: He has the potential. Please let it be him. I pray to you, Lord Ram. Let it be him. Shiva walked back to the young soldier
0: he had stabbed in the gut. He lay writhing on the ground, his face contorted in pain as gore oozed slowly from the wound. For the first time in his life,
1: Shiva felt pity for Apokriti. He drew his sword and swiftly ended the young soldier's suffering.
0: Four long weeks of marching brought the caravan to the crest of the final mountain and the outskirts of Srinagar, the capital of the Valley of Kashmir. Nandi had talked so excitedly about the glories of his perfect land that Shiva was expecting to see incredible sights he could not even have imagined in his simple homeland. But nothing could have prepared him for the sheer spectacle of this paradise. Meluha, the land of pure life. The mighty Jhelum River, a roaring tigress in the mountains, slowed to the plodding of a languorous cow as she entered the valley. Caressing the heavenly land of Kashmir, she meandered into the immense Dal Lake, eventually flowing out and away, continuing her long journey to the sea. The vast valley was a lush green canvas for the masterpiece that was Kashmir. Row upon row of gloriously colored flowers and soaring Chinnar trees offered the weary travelers a majestic yet warm Kashmiri welcome. The melodious singing of the birds was a relief to their ears after weeks surrounded by the howling of icy mountain winds. If this is the border province, how perfect must the rest of the country be? whispered Shiva in awe. Upon the western banks of the Dal Lake, alongside the Jhelum, lay the site of an ancient Melahan army camp and the frontier town that had grown beyond its simple encampments into the Grand Srinagar, literally, the respected city. Srinagar had been built upon a massive platform of earth, almost 250 acres in size, and towering almost 15 feet high. On top of the platform, 12-foot-thick city walls soared another 60 feet high. The Gunas were astounded by the simplicity and brilliance of building an entire city on a platform. First and foremost, it offered a strong protection against attacking enemies, Who would have to fight up the steep sides of the platform before they even reached the city walls. The platform served another vital purpose. It raised the ground level of the city safely above the floodplains of the mighty Chelum. Inside the fort walls, a neat grid pattern of roads divided the city into blocks. There were specially constructed market areas, temples, gardens, meeting halls, every amenity necessary for sophisticated urban living. From the outside, All the houses looked the same, simple multi-storey block structures and the only difference between a rich man's house and a poor man's was the size. In contrast to the extravagant natural landscape of Kashmir, the city of Srinagar itself was painted in restrained greys, blues and whites, and the entire city was a picture of cleanliness, order and sobriety. Nearly 20,000 souls called Srinagar their home. Shiva gazed at the two hundred gunas who had just arrived from Mount Gailash and felt a lightness of being
1: he hadn't experienced since that terrible day many years ago. I have escaped. I can make a new beginning. I can forget. The caravan made its way to the immigrant camp, which was built on a separate platform on the
0: southern side of Srinagar. Nandi led Shiva and his tribe to the foreigner's office, which was located next to the camp, and asked Shiva to wait outside while he fetched an official. The young man he returned with gave a practiced smile and folded his hands in a formal namaste. Welcome to Meluha. I am Chitrangad and I will be your orientation executive. Think of me as your single point of contact for all issues whilst
1: you are here. Would your leader Shiva make himself known, please? Shiva stepped forward. I'm Shiva. Excellent, said
0: Chitrangad. Would you be so kind as to follow me to the registration desk, please? You will be designated the caretaker of your tribe, and any communications concerning them will go through you. As the designated leader, the implementation of all directives within your tribe will be your responsibility. Nandi cut in to Chitrangad's officious speech to tell Shiva, Sir, if you'll excuse me, I'll go to the immigrant camp and arrange the temporary living quarters for your tribe. Shiva noticed that Chitrangad's ever-beaming face lost its smile for a fraction of a second when Nandi interrupted his flow. But he recovered quickly, and the smile was soon back in place. Turning to Nandi, Shiva said, Of course you may go, Nandi. You don't need my permission, but I would ask you to promise me something, my friend. Anything, sir,
1: replied Nandi, bowing slightly. Call me Shiva, not sir, Shiva grinned. I'm your friend, not your chief. A surprised Nandi looked up, bowed again, and said, Yes, sir, I mean, yes, Shiva.
0: Chitrangad? whose smile looked more genuine to Shiva, now said, If you will follow me to the registration desk, we will complete the formalities quickly. The newly registered tribe arrived at the residential quarters in the immigration camp to find Nandi waiting near the main gates to lead them inside. The roads of the camp were laid out like those of Srinagar, in a neat north-south and east-west grid. The carefully paved footpaths contrasted sharply with the dirt tracks in Shiva's own land. He noticed something strange about the roads, though.
1: Nandi, what are those differently-coloured stones running along the centre of each road? asked Shiva. They cover underground
0: drains that take all the wastewater out of the camp, ensuring that the camp remains clean and hygienic. Shiva marvelled at the Melehan's almost obsessively meticulous planning. When the Gulnas saw the large building that had been assigned to them for the umpteenth time, they thanked their leader's wisdom in deciding to come to Meloha. The three-story building had comfortable separate living quarters for each family. Every family room was luxuriously furnished, including a highly polished copper plate on one wall in which they could see their reflections. Clean linen bedsheets, towels, and even some clothes were also provided.
1: Feeling the cloth, a bewildered shiver asked, What's this material? It's cotton shiver,
0: Chitrangad replied enthusiastically. The plant is grown in our lands and fashioned into the cloth that you hold. Broad windows allowed the light and warmth of the sun to enter, and notches on each wall supported metal rods from which lamps could be hung at night. Every family room had an attached bathroom with a sloping floor that allowed water to flow naturally to a drainage hole. On the floor at the right-hand end of each bathroom was a paved basin, with a large hole at its center, the purpose of which was a mystery to the tribe. The side walls incorporated some kind of device which, when turned,
1: allowed water to flow through it. Magic, whispered Marcy, Bhadra's mother. Beside the main door of the building
0: was a house from which a doctor and her nurses emerged to greet Shiva. The doctor... A petite, wheat-skinned woman was dressed in a simple white cloth tied around her waist and legs in a style the Mellohans called dhuti. A smaller white cloth was tied around her chest as a blouse, while another cloth, called an angvastram, was draped over her shoulders. The centre of her forehead bore a white dot. Her head had been shaved clean except for a braid at the back called a chorti. A loose string, a janal, ran from her left shoulder across her torso to her right side. Nandi was genuinely startled to see her. With a reverential namaste, he said, Lady Ayurvati, I didn't expect to find a doctor of your stature here. Ayurvati smiled at Nandi and made a polite namaste. I'm a firm believer in the fieldwork experience program,
1: Captain. My team follows it strictly. Forgive me, though. I don't recognize you. Have we met before? My
0: name is Nandi, my lady, he replied. We haven't met before, but who doesn't know you? The greatest doctor in the land? Thank you, Captain Nandi, said the doctor, visibly embarrassed. But I think you
1: exaggerate. There are many far superior to me. Turning quickly to Shiva, she continued, Welcome to Meluha. I am
0: Ayurvati, your designated doctor. My nurses and I will be at your service while you are in these quarters. Hearing no reaction from Shiva, Chitrangad said in his most earnest voice, These are just temporary quarters, Shiva. The actual houses that will be allocated to your tribe will be much more comfortable. You only have to stay here for the period of quarantine, which will not last more than seven days. Oh no, my friend, Shiva replied. These quarters are more than comfortable. They're beyond anything we could have imagined. What say you must see? Shiva grinned mischievously at Padra's mother, before turning back to Chitrangad with a frown. But why the quarantine? Nandi cut in. The quarantine is merely a precaution, Shiva. We don't have many diseases in Meluha, and sometimes immigrants arrive with new ones. During this seven-day period, the doctor and her nurses will observe and cure you of any such ailments. Ayurvati added, And one of the guidelines you must follow to control diseases is to maintain
1: strict hygiene standards. Shiva grimaced at Nandi and whispered, Hygiene standards? Nandi's forehead
0: crinkled into an apologetic frown while his hands gently advised acquiescence.
1: He mumbled, Please, go along with it, Shiva. It's just one of those things we have to do in Meluha, As I said,
0: Lady Ayurvati is considered to be the best doctor in the land. If you're free right now, Ayurvati said, I can give you your instructions.
1: I'm free right now, said Shiva with a straight face. But I may have to charge you later. Bhadra giggled softly.
0: While Ayurvati stared at Shiva with a blank face, clearly not amused by the
1: pun. I don't understand what you're trying to say," she said frostily. In any case, we'll begin in the bathroom.
0: With that, Ayurvati walked into the guesthouse, muttering under her breath, "These uncouth immigrants." Shiva raised his eyebrows towards Padra, grinning impishly. Late in the evening, after a hearty meal. All the gunas were served a medicinal drink in their rooms. Yuck! Bhadra's face contorted in a grimace.
1: This tastes like yak's piss.
0: How do you know what yak's piss tastes like? Asked Shiva, laughing as he slapped his friend hard on the back. Now go to your room. I need to sleep. Have you seen the beds? I think this is going to be the best sleep
1: of my life. Of course I've seen the bed said Shiva, grinning. Now I want to experience it. Get out! Padra left Shiva's
0: room laughing loudly. He wasn't the only one excited by the unnaturally soft beds. The entire tribe had rushed to their rooms for what they anticipated would be the best sleep they'd ever had. They were in for a surprise. Shiva tossed and turned on his bed. His tiger skin skirt had been taken away to be washed, so he was wearing an orange-colored dhuti. His cotton angvastram was lying on a low chair by the wall, and a chillum smoldered forlornly on the side table. This damn bed is too soft. Impossible to sleep on. Shiva yanked the sheet off the mattress, tossed it on the floor, and lay down on it. That was a little better. Sleep was stealthily creeping up on him but not as quickly as at home. He missed the rough, cold floor of his own hut. He missed the shrill winds of Mount Gailash that broke through the most determined efforts to ignore them. He missed the comforting stench of his tiger-skin skirt. No doubt his current surroundings were excessively comfortable, but they were still alien.
1: As usual, his instincts revealed the truth. It's not the room. It's you. Just as that
0: realisation dawned, Shiva noticed that despite the cool breeze, he was sweating profusely. The room was spinning, and he felt as if his body was being stretched out. His frostbitten right toe was on fire, and his battle-scarred left knee was being distended somehow. His tired, aching muscles felt as if a great hand was remoulding them. His shoulder joint, dislocated years ago and never completely healed, appeared to be ripping the surrounding muscles aside to re-engineer the joint, the muscles in turn giving way so that the bones could do their work. Breathing was becoming an effort, so Shiva opened his mouth wide and tried to suck in as much air as he could. The curtains, alongside the window, rustled as a welcome breeze rushed in, and Shiva's body relaxed a little with a sudden gust of air. But all too quickly, the battle to breathe began again. He focused and whirled giant gasps of air into his hungry lungs. Knock, knock. The light tapping on the door broke Shiva's concentration, disorientating him for a moment. Still struggling for breath, he mentally scanned his body. His shoulder was twitching, but the familiar pain was missing. He looked down at his knee. It didn't hurt anymore either, and the scar had vanished. He glanced at his toe. It was whole and completely healed now. He tried to bend it, and a cracking sound reverberated through the room as his toe made its first movement in years. There was also an unfamiliar tingling coldness in his neck. Knock-knock. The tapping was a little more insistent now. A bewildered Shiva staggered to his feet, pulled the young Vastram around his neck for warmth, and opened the door. The darkness veiled his visitor's face, but Shiva still recognized Padra even before he whispered in a panic-stricken voice, Shiva, I'm sorry to disturb you so late, but my mother has a very high fever. What should I do? Shiva instinctively touched Bhadra's forehead. You have a fever too, Bhadra. Return to your room. I'll fetch the doctor. As Shiva raced along the corridor, he encountered many more doors opening and an increasingly familiar cry. Sudden fever! Help! Help! He sprinted down the steps to the attached building where the doctor was housed and knocked hard on the door. Ayurvati opened it immediately, almost as if she'd been expecting him. He spoke calmly. Ayurvati, many of my tribe have suddenly fallen ill. Please come quickly. They need your help. You're sweating. Do you have a fever? Shiva shook his head to say no, and Ayurvati frowned, surprised. She touched Shiva's forehead for confirmation, then turned and ordered her nurses. Come on, it's begun. Let's go. As Ayurvati and her nurses rushed into the building, Chitrangad appeared out of nowhere. He asked what had happened, and Shiva said, I don't know. Practically everybody in my tribe has suddenly fallen ill. You're sweating heavily yourself, Chitrangad pointed out. Indeed, but for some reason... I don't have a fever. I'm going back inside. I need to see how my people are doing. Chitrangad nodded, adding, I'll fetch Nandi. As Chitrangad sped away in search of Nandi, Shiva ran back into the building. He was surprised to find every torch had been lit, and the nurses were going methodically from room to room, administering medicines and talking to their scared patients, telling them what they should do. A scribe walked alongside each nurse, meticulously noting each patient's details in a palm-leaf booklet. The Melahans were clearly prepared for this sort of eventuality. Ayurvati stood at the end of the corridor, hands on hips, like a general, supervising superbly trained and efficient troops. Shiva rushed up to her and asked, What about the second and third floors? Ayurvati answered without turning to him. There are nurses all over the building already. I'll go up to supervise once the situation on this floor has been stabilized. We'll cover all the patients in the next half hour. I can see how incredibly efficient your people are, but I pray that everyone will be okay, said a worried shiver. Ayurvati turned to look at him. Her eyebrows were raised slightly and a hint of a smile hovered on her serious face. Don't worry. We're meluhans. We're capable of handling any situation.
1: Everybody will be fine. Is there anything I can do to help? Yes. Please go and take a bath. What? Please go and take a bath. Right now,
0: said Ayurvati as she turned back to address her team. Everybody, please remember that all children below the age of 15 must be tonsured. Mastrak, go upstairs and start the secondary medicines, will you? I'll be there in five minutes. Yes, my lady, said the young man she had addressed. He hurried up the steps, carrying a large cloth bag. You're still here, asked Ayurvati when she noticed that Shiva hadn't left. Shiva said softly, controlling his rising anger. What difference will my bathing make? My people are in trouble. I want to help them. I don't have the time or the patience to argue with you. You will go and take a bath immediately, said Ayurvati clearly, not trying to control her own temper. Shiva glared at Ayurvati as he made a heroic effort to swallow the curses that wanted to leap out of his mouth. His clenched fists were eager to answer Ayurvati even more aggressively. But she was a woman. Ayurvati glared right back at Shiva. She was used to being obeyed. She was a doctor. If she told a patient to do something, she expected it to be done without question. But in her long years of experience, she had encountered a few patients like Shiva, especially amongst the nobility. Such patients had to be reasoned with, not instructed. Yet this was no nobleman, just a simple immigrant. Controlling herself with great effort, ayurvedi said, Shiva, you're sweating profusely. If you don't wash it off, it will kill you. Please trust me on this. You can't be of any help to your tribe if you're dead. Chitrangad banged loudly on the door and a bleary-eyed Nandi woke up cursing. Wrenching the door
1: open, he growled, This had better be important. Come quickly. Shiva's tribe has fallen ill. Already? But this is only the first night, exclaimed Nandi. Picking up his unbathrum, he said, Let's go! The
0: bathroom felt like a strange place to take a bath. Shiva was used to splashing about in the chilly Manasaravar Lake for his bi-monthly ablutions, and the bathroom felt oddly constricting in comparison. He turned the magical device on the wall to increase the flow of water and used the strange cake-like substance the Mellahans called soap to rub his body clean. Ayurvati had been very clear. The soap had to be used. Eventually, he turned the water off and picked up a towel. As he rubbed himself vigorously, the mystifying physical developments he'd ignored for the past few hours came flooding back. His shoulder felt better than new. He looked down in awe at his knee. No pain, no scar. He stared in wonder at his completely healed toe and then realized that it wasn't the injured parts that had been healed, his entire body felt rejuvenated and stronger than ever. His neck, though, still felt intolerably cold. What the hell is going on? He stepped out of the bathroom and quickly donned a clean dhuti. Ayurvedi had given strict instructions that he was not to wear old clothes stained by his sweat. As he was draping the Angvastram round his neck for
1: some warmth, There was a knock on the door. It was Ayurvati. Shiva, may I come in please? I'd like to check how you're doing.
0: Shiva opened the door. Ayurvati stepped in and took Shiva's temperature. It was normal. She nodded slightly and said, You appear to be healthy and your tribe is also recovering quickly. The trouble has passed. Shiva smiled gratefully thanks to the skills and efficiency of your team i'm truly sorry for arguing with you earlier it was unnecessary i know you meant well irvati looked up from her palm leaf booklet with a slight smile and raised an eyebrow
1: being polite now are we i'm not that rude you know Shiva grinned you people are just so supercilious
0: Ayurvati suddenly stopped listening and stared at Shiva with a stunned expression on her face. How had she not noticed it before? She had never believed in the prophecy. Was she going to be the first one to see it come true?
1: Pointing weakly, she mumbled. Why have you covered your neck? It's very cold for some reason. Is it something I should worry about? asked Shiva as he pulled off the young Vastram. Ayurvati's cry
0: resounded loudly through the silent room as she staggered back, her hands covering her mouth in shock while the palm-leaf booklet slipped from her nerveless fingers and scattered pages across the floor. Her knees were too weak to hold her up. She collapsed with her back against the wall, never once, taking her tear-filled eyes off shiver. She kept repeating, Om Brahmaya
1: Nama, Om Brahmaya Nama. What's happened? Is it serious? asked Shiva, beginning to get worried. You have come, my lord. You have come. Before a bewildered
0: Shiva could react to her strange behavior, Nandi rushed in and saw Ayurvati on the ground, tears flowing down her face. What's happened, my lady? he asked, sounding startled. Ayurvati? pointed wordlessly at Shiva's neck, and Nandi looked up to see it glowing an eerie iridescent blue. With the cry of a long-caged prisoner just released from captivity, Nandi collapsed to his knees. My lord, you have come! The neelkant has come! He bowed low and brought his head down to touch Shiva's feet reverentially. The object of his adoration stepped back, befuddled and perturbed, what the hell is going on here, he asked agitatedly. Holding a hand to his freezing neck, he turned around to face the polished copper plate and
1: stared in stunned astonishment at the reflection of his neil his blue throat. Chitrangad had just arrived. Now, holding the door frame for support, he
0: stood and sobbed like a child.
1: We're saved! We're saved. He has come.